Hello and welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan. Uh, We're flying solo with no Gene Robinson today, but we do have our guest. Uh, Today's guest is Mr. John Sermont. Hi, John. Hey, good morning, Patrick. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, good. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of uh, excited about today's show. I love to, uh, I love to be right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, like most people do, right? Uh, yeah, well, I, 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 uh, I'm actually not happy uh, that we actually have uh, a substantive uh content for your show today i don't like that actually if 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 you you know the content and the pieces um i'm glad that there's someone that uh that 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 has a message that you know that can um point out some things but i don't like that i don't like uh being in these kinds of conversations i don't like being in these kinds of discussions uh patrick i don't know um you and I've talked some, but I've recently had some issues, uh, run-ins with the military health, uh, the VA healthcare system uh, uh, last year, and had some issues there. Uh, I've uh, experienced uh, issues with uh, uh, unethical medical practice uh, for those actually um, ostensibly uh, healing "quote unquote" uh, veterans. Um, I've dealt with incarceration. I've uh, was homeless. I was uh, had a, a 90 day period of schizophrenia or psychosis. No one actually can figure out how or why. I've never, uh, up to my mid 40s, had any kind of mental health issues other than damage that you would pick up after spending 20 years in SEAL Team and getting shot at, blown up, shit like that. So I'm here, and it's fun, Patrick, in a way. So the reason that I uh, decided to talk with you about this, and uh, thank you for the invitation, is because I've been through so much really horrific shit that just talking about kind of some of this, you know, shitty shit is really actually going to lighten my mood, ironically enough. Well, that's good, because that's what we're here for, is to like brighten. I, this is kind of the day brightener show. Maybe I should have called it that <laughs> instead of the hard lessons learned. It should have been the day brightener. <laughs> But uh, before we get, you know, too far down the road, for people that don't know who you are, I mean, we've been friends Mm. for, I don't know, it's like five, six years or something like that. But before uh, we get we get into the the meat and potatoes or the uh, tofu and the uh, quinoa, maybe you can uh, (laughs) give us a little bio, you know, and how you got involved with uh, small UAS. Yeah, sure. So. So first of all, uh, my background is I uh, am retired uh, SEAL team. Uh, I spent uh, 19 years, technically, uh, as a member of uh, Naval Special Warfare. I have um, I've spent time on the East and West Coast. Uh, my East Coast time was only uh, temporary additional duty or uh, special assignments for special activities, and that's about all I can say about that. Uh, West Coast time I uh, spent mostly at uh, SEAL Team 3, then I spent some time as uh, a SEAL instructor at uh, the Naval Special Warfare Center uh, for uh, BUDS, which is where we train our our new SEALs, our young SEALs. We select, we actually really don't get them trained until they're in uh, SQT, but that's a whole other conversation. Then I uh, spent time at SEAL Team 3. I was uh, also at SEAL Team 5 for a period. I then uh, spent time at Group 1. I was in a ground mobility special program. I actually uh, also 
uh, responsible for a whole bunch of S and T, a whole bunch of R and D, uh, and that's the starting point for how I got involved in unmanned systems. I actually was working uh, some RDT, uh, RDT and E efforts uh, that were classified within Naval Special Warfare and uh, some particular elements and things akin to unmanned systems started uh, crossing my desk. And so I got involved. Uh, I early on in my career, I was an enlisted man. Uh, and as a, a young SEAL, I took to communications, Patrick. I just, for some reason, technology, communications, you know, it's just software. It all just kind of works for me because I am a communicator. I'm a Libra, like long walks on the beach, et cetera, et cetera. So the social component to life and human interactions actually matter to me. And so I naturally wanted to, A, know what the fuck was going on when I'm out in the woods or uh, in, the, in the field uh, with my team. And as the communicator, I always kind of had this little control freak kind of thing. I could kind of know I'm not the decision maker, right? That's the, that's the job of the ground force commander. And basically I'm carrying his telephone. But most of the time I got to use the phone like it was my own because my SEAL leadership trusted me. And they would say, John, you know what to do. Go ahead and do it. Roger that. And we'd pass the pro word, and we'd keep going, and we'd do whatever we do. Anyway, <clears throat> I learned that being good at something that most team guys, and we call SEALs euphemistically team guys, that's what we say, most team guys um, uh, don't want did, at the time in that era they didn't want to deal with shit that you had to plug in and had to troubleshoot because i don't know if you remember green gear in the 90s patrick it wasn't great well you know i i was just a, so did they like look at your astrological sign to pick your mos or what <laughs> well actually they probably uh they probably should look into that patrick there might be something to that forming fire teams and, and classes and shit. I don't know. That's probably a millennial. There'll be some millennial that'll create a fucking app, a dating app for the military. It's like, okay, is this guy right fit? What MOS, what assignment, what branch should he be in? Let's pick it for you. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, we can go down the road on that one. Well, okay, so now that's interesting stuff, and there's lots of stuff there um, in that, but uh, I also, you know, didn't you? Uh, I, I think you also didn't you do some time in Yuma, Stan? Didn't, didn't you? Oh, yeah. uh, do a little time down there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, so, so just so you know, I've spent time. Um, so as uh, uh, I was commissioned, just you know, so let's go through this. Can we just take some time and, and walk through this? Because I don't want to rush it. I really want to give the audience my background because. One thing I've realized, especially last year, that people can say they know me and talk about me and talk to, of me and shit, and they're probably not correct. They probably okay. didn't get it all right. And you know what? Here's the thing I'm realizing, Patrick. That's not really their fault. That's my fault for ensuring that you know, I, I'm holding my narrative and making sure people know who the fuck I am. So, so let me, let me kind of – can I step through this? Is that Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I ended up, um, as an enlisted man, I ended up spending a lot of time around and with radios. Now, again, I'm a, 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 a SEAL operator. My primary responsibility is as a trigger puller and an operator and a pipe hitter and an enlisted guy. Okay. 
we have collateral assignments. At the time, we would ins- we would have department heads, and I'm I think they probably still do that, but I don't think it's like the way it was in, in our day. I think they're treated more like professional athletes, and we were treated more like redheaded stepchildren. But anyway, I uh, I became uh, known and recognized as somebody that could make comps, and I used that as a metric and a guiding principle. Every in everything I did, I I took great pride. And we'll talk about the TF-160 guys. I took pride like they take pride. They have a saying, plus or minus 30 seconds. 30 seconds or less, they guarantee time on target, plus or minus 30 seconds. And that's something that they, you can take to the fucking bank. And I'm telling you, they fucking do it every time. And if they don't, you better call the QRF because there's a reason. So right. I prided myself on making comms and we use the phrase uh, the phrase euphemistically and by the way one thing i want to tell you between the army and navy language has always been fascinating for me and what i discovered is even describing communications and connectivity uh and, and communications resilience and robustness the army would use the term commo you commo guys and commo and this and that and the other and for me i felt like i was literally in another land when they would say commo and say what are you doing what are you talking about comms and they go comms yeah, comms. We call it comms. I'm a communicator, and I communicate, and when we're in the act of doing that, we call that comms, and all the stuff that it takes to do that, we call that comms. And they're like, oh. And so I'm kind of exchanging a, a, a series of ideas uh, with my, my Army counterparts at different exercises. And what I, I remember and recall is uh, at one point we were doing um, – and I don't know how much I can say about it, uh, Patrick, but I was um, kind of brought in to the uh, <clears throat> ground mobility program, if you want to call that, in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. I don't know if you remember in the first Gulf War, I wasn't there. Uh, that was before me about a year. Um, but they, they had something called the fast attack vehicle, and it looked like a damn race car with guns on it. And uh, they were fil- they were filmed uh, and they were seen and spotted. I think they were on the cover of Time magazine and they were in uh, Kuwait uh, doing the work that they do or did. We ended up, you know, that that uh, was essentially a tiny little foothold uh, program for uh, specializing or specialized responses and capabilities for that 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 were focused on ground mobility, desert. Uh, patrol urban uh, environments, uh, un- you know, uh, varying environments that you needed to traverse uh, quickly. And I can tell you, people might not know this about the history of our community, but there was a period of time in the late 90s where the Army and, and the Navy uh, underneath the Special Operations uh, Command were literally arguing about who doctrinally had uh, had the right or the purview to actually go inland and operate, justifying needing mounted uh, equipment and vehicles. I find that to be incredibly uh, uh, ironic, right? Given uh, what we were we were faced with just a few years later in 2001, our my command one of my commanding officers' name was uh, Bill McCraven. Uh, he was a wonderful man, and he encouraged me to uh, explore my curiosity and, and allow myself to just run wild with the tech. And so I will attribute his encouragement 
to a, a young uh, second-class petty officer, uh, SEAL, who was in his uh, you know first, second, third, fourth, fifth platoons at SEAL Team 3, and he just – he just during his period he just encouraged me to to be the best that I could in communicating because I was in a way Patrick the seal type skills they weren't hard they were pretty easy pretty straightforward I was given a gift physically to have the attributes to where it really wasn't a big deal to do all the physical stuff and I I, I just chuckle at how important that seems to be to people today in society when in fact the seal part of what we do as seals, you know, that's that wows people. But to us, that's just another day at the office. It's the technical stuff and the 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 the, the real nuts and bolts kind of capabilities that you bring to the fight that seals value. And so I, like any other team guy, I've been trained and immersed in team guy uh, environment and thought. And so the 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 mindset that I had was, yeah, yeah. That's the you got you, you got to go do that anyway. You might as well uh, get good at something else that makes you a little different from everybody else. And so I chose communications and made a name for myself. I ended up uh, being given an opportunity to work with uh, the ground mobility side of our community on the West Coast, <clears throat> and it was it was something that uh, Admiral uh, McRaven, who uh, was relieved by Admiral Harwood when he changed commands and got promoted and moved on. Uh, I also worked for Admiral Harward, and um, Admiral Harward was a, was a go-getter and a visionary from a technology perspective, and he absolutely continued to encourage the, 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 the curiosity and the investigation, exploration, testing, and analysis for what, what, what can we do to, to do our jobs better? How can technology be applied? What can we do? Can we ask more from our uh, engineers and developers and ourselves? And uh, Admiral Harward and Admiral McRaven were huge proponents in encouraging young SEALs like me to push, push, break it, uh, learn from it. We'll buy you more because my experience, Patrick, through my, my, young, uh, uh, my early years, my, the first decade as an enlisted man, I was encouraged to break it, to push it, to test to the point of failure, and then work to develop uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures that we could apply. I would document that. I would take pictures. I would show what worked, what didn't work. I would kind of do a, uh, uh, an analysis uh, uh, to the benefits of it and then some of the shortfalls, and then I would start developing requirements. And so I was doing that on my own while in an active you know, uh, uh, platoon and, and a SEAL team just doing our job and just part of my job was essentially R and D just, just naturally. And so the command saw that the leadership saw that and then allowed and encouraged me actually to go into some of the special projects. And that's where I got involved in quantum leap, worked with some really smart people there. We were learning to transmit imagery from everywhere, you name it. Before I got involved uh, with quantum leap, I actually on my own worked with Harris to be, you know, the first special operations element to transmit live video from a beach in Korea to a, a, a ship at sea for the Navy, uh, and we were doing that in 1996. So we couldn't talk about it, but people were pretty interested in, in what we were pulling off. Anyway, that then grew into uh, – that was one of the reasons that I was uh, recalled to active duty because it just ironically, July of 2001 – I'd finished up my tour as a, a SEAL instructor and 
while I was there, I developed uh, the, uh, with a couple of other SEALs, we developed the database to track uh, all of the students. And so we essentially digitized all of our student records uh, historically as well. We started to see data. We started to understand the power of data-driven analytics back in circa 1999 and 2000. And I was a part of the, a, a, a small number of people who, again, weren't directed to do anything. We just decided to keep pushing to do what was right. So I went from SEAL Team 3, working communications and integration uh, and mobility, and then I went into uh, the command, the, the, the training center as an instructor, and started to work on how to refine and improve our training processes to be more infor better informed about what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're not just doing it because the Vietnam guys did it. So right. that was pretty impactful. Well, at the time, if you remember, I was, I was a SEAL instructor from 98 to 2001, <laughs> and that was the dot-com era, if you remember. It was right. crazy being a, a SEAL on active duty, training students, and then hearing about all of this shit going on, and people are making money doing stupid shit. And it's like, what? What is this? Internet? Huh, let's look at this. So I started to to get interested in developing software. So I actually learned, uh, went to night school, got a degree in uh, information technology from National. I started at University of Kentucky telecommunications major, and then I dropped out and joined the Navy and became a team guy. I finished my bachelor's degree while I was a, a, a SEAL instructor, but I also really got involved. The reason I did the bachelor's degree because I wanted to learn about software. I wanted to let, learn about IT, and I did. And then I implemented what I learned into the infrastructure at the command uh, for our training programs and pipelines and, and was recognized and identified as somebody that could think and, and act uh, coherently, basically, which was a good thing. Right. I, uh, well, I, I would, and I don't want to catch up, but I, I, I do, I mean, because it's good background stuff on how you became involved in the, in the drone thing, but I, I, we're, I don't want to run out of time. And I do want to talk about okay. some of this, this stuff here. So, you know, all of that background is relevant because, you know, early on, and I've always been a commercial guy and interested in this. And I know that, you know, we, we kind of meshed on that. And all of that kind of comes to, let's say, a head when you got out and you started your own business uh, with Softcoast, well, but, right? Yeah, well, let me start. Let me just say one more thing, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take it this way. I just feel like it's pertinent because the things that I'm going to say about this industry and these people, I need the listeners to understand there's weight behind my words because I know what the right. fuck I'm talking about because I've been there, done that. I'm one of the early pioneers for right. bringing unmanned systems into special operations. I was the uh, officer, I was the assistant officer in charge of the entire UAS program. Uh, for naval special warfare, uh, and and that we worked that out of Group One, and then we grew it up, and it's it's a huge animal on in its own right, and has its own command, and everything else. The point is, I was I was responsible along with other really smart people, and doing a lot of hard work to understand how to bring unmanned systems into the the Department of Defense inventory, starting with special operations for immediate uh, needs. That being said. While I was in, involved in that, I understood what could be for the commercial space. However, I also understood the dangers of 
of some a technology and a capability like this that literally would have unfettered access to our national airspace, which would be a problem from a national security perspective. So we had to balance that. And we were measured in our approach. And I'm not seeing that here the way these commercial actors have acted. And that's what I have a problem with. And I'll tell you, as a veteran, as a retired Navy SEAL, as a technology expert, and as a leader, I can tell you that the 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 Indians, the natives, uh, uh, seem to be have, have gotten restless and have taken over, and there there is a, a bit of a problem the way the commercial the commercialization of unmanned systems has unfolded, and that's what we're talking about. And I was warning about this for years. Right, and you know that's and that's really kind of what I wanted to get into here, and we'll probably run long, and that's okay. Because I think it's important. And I think all the background is really good because people, you know, it's the same deal, like you said. I mean, the same thing with me, okay? I get people, they don't, they think they know who I am. They're, oh, that Egan guy, he's a curmudgeon, he's this, he's that. But, you know, just like you're talking about all of your experience, nobody really knows who you are. You know, even on the, right. uh, on the social side, say like LinkedIn, which is a business site, people don't know who you are. I have to remind people constantly that I didn't just run over here to Best Buy and plunk down a thousand bucks and buy a selfie drone. I've been here right. for 15 years. I developed my own systems. I did, you know, I did my time in Yumistan, which, you know, the side note was, is, you know, I figured out when I was standing in the desert, you're working for the Navy and you're standing in the middle of the desert and it's 120 degrees. Good chance you pissed someone off somewhere. That was my experience. Well, let's, let's, so Patrick, let me tell you. So you you, you asked me if I I done Yumistan. Yes, I have. I actually uh, I also worked um, an area you know other areas uh, Nevada test site uh, test range that are are uh, undisclosed at this point. But I will tell you, you know I was working with folks out of Natick, Massachusetts. We were working special projects and uh, rapidly fielding things that were immediately needed, developing TTPs and training. And what was really cool is the environment that we were in. We were able to, to test this, the, the, the Raven systems and the other systems that AeroVironment and others were trying to put together for uh, combat mission needs that, that we could literally fly out to range. We could fly 50 kilometers away to see what would happen. Right. We could crash and we could repair and test. So we have had the ability to test and truly understand the capabilities, the features, as well as the, the shortfalls and consequences of uh, employing this technology as aggressively as we could figure out how to do it. A lot of right. that uh, we would consider to be corporate knowledge, and that still resides within the United States uh, Armed Forces. How much of the problem I have with the commercial industry is, is they've not done a very good job of inviting the corporate knowledge that has been around as a fellow American and have been doing things similar, it kind of turned into if you don't have what we've deemed the pedigree or access or uh, a, a staircase of success that we expect to see, you must not know what you're talking about. Right. And that, and just what you're talking about, there's no guarantee. Cause I, you know, I see it um, with the tech side. I mean, I, the, the, you know, and people are afraid to say anything. Nobody wants to say anything about Google or Amazon. Or, how, did, how have we got to the point where, where multinational corporations lord their image? Their image is more important than the substance of what they're doing and their outcomes. Well, 
And I would say if you're operating a drone company and you're not inviting other perspectives, then you are acting unethically because you're not making toothbrushes and you're not making toasters. These things are flying over people's heads. They are going. They are putting people at risk every time you put this over a populated area or a piece of critical infrastructure. You are putting America's uh, interests uh, at risk, and and literally, there's a calculus of your interests versus the interests of uh, Americans that you're flying over top of. Uh-huh. And I yeah, would yeah. caution you to think twice because at some point the American public will wake up and say, "What are you doing?" Right. I, I agree. Nobody's going to tolerate drones falling out of the sky on their heads all the time. The other thing with that is uh, I call it the techo chamber. Um, when you get a job at one of these companies, you do not, you, you go with the flow, even if the flow is losing a hundred million, 118 million, 145 million, 60 million, whatever. And then what happens is you go to the next company Hopefully they have deeper pockets so you can ride even longer. But the people at Amazon, the people at Google, they're, they're I mean, I'm sorry. I've been telling years, you're just unqualified. And this kind of goes back to the history. I mean, you, know, you, you went into your background. I went into my background a little bit. Um, you know, there's some real empirical experience here. People don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is I'm going to use my cell phone app and the drone and I'm going to go out and I'm going to make money. But I want to pull it back to where we mm. were in 2013. So mm-hmm. you were out and uh, you had your own company, uh, Soft Coast, and you were making your own product. And at the time you were making, it was a uh, tethered product for ISR. Yep. But, the, but the difference, there were two things that were going on there. Because, you know, people have, when I was working for the Navy, they were like, yeah, we're going to do blimp in a box and we're going to do, you know, some some crazy stuff where we're going to mount blimps to vehicles and you know and I'm like look <laughs> you know anybody you know why do you want a force protection and uh, asset that needs its own force protection I, I just don't I mean you know you go fly you know drive a truck out and uh, hang this uh, blimp out here they're going to see that for kilometers away and there, there's yeah. going to be like an invite that someone's ringing the dinner bell the difference well, with your product. Well, now wait, because this is what I immediately, the first time I saw it, I was like, ah, here's somebody who's, who's probably has a little experience with uh, dealing with people that are not happy about your presence. Let's just put it that way. Because your product right. was clear. That's right. And small. It was man portable. It was clear. It was easily depo- uh, deployable. It was also cheap. It was something you could cut loose and hit the road, whatever you had to do, right? I mean, I, yes. what I'm saying is your experience went into the product design, correct? But, well, that, yes, it did. And let me, let me share the product. The product actually was called Mako. Uh, right. The product was a product category that I had invented, and uh, I had put some intellectual property in place. I couldn't defend it. I couldn't finish it again. I didn't have the hundreds of millions of dollars to do all of that. So I was on a shoestring budget. And again, I, I, I was homeless the first six years of my life in the state of Kentucky. I was adopted by a family in the state of Kentucky and I was raised as theirs for a period of time. At some point I was invited back to talk about my experiences. There were people that, that were high net worth and wanted to invest in, in what I was doing and I'd invited them to invest. So I took, I'd taken angel investor money, not a lot, Patrick, and actually not enough to do what I was attempting to do, but I was, I had ground, I was grinding for about five years 
bootstrapped with angel money and then picking up uh, revenue to, to keep me afloat as much as I could and advancing the product as best I could. And I ended up with a rucksack portable, tethered, hybrid aerostatic system that was right. small, lightweight. You could uh, you carry it in a backpack. You could, you could operate it. Uh, we tested hydrogen. It would work safely with hydrogen. All the materials were, were, uh, were, were safe. Uh, and then we also had helium, and I'd come up with a way to take, as I'd learned in a, as a SEAL, we could compress oxygen uh, into these small uh, tanks that we would carry on our stomachs in our LAR-5 or our Dreger underwater breathing apparatus, and we would recirculate and scrub the carbon dioxide out of it, and it would help us do our job in a way that uh, gave us adva- uh, advan- advantages. Well, I took the same concept and took a Haskell boost pump took a, a helium large cylinder, and then I compressed the gas into these small carbon fiber tanks that were used by firefighters called SCBA breathing apparatus. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it, was a, it was a novel innovation. I'm sure people copied everything I've done now, and people are doing it all over the place. And I hope if there were classified requirements that I was tr- driving towards that somebody picked it up and kept doing it, and I'll never know about it, but at least the mission got done, that's okay. I'm an American first. And I, right. I love my country. Whatever's needed, ne- necessary, let's do that. Right, right. Well, so those were, but you know, even this product that you designed. Okay, so you were you were out. You, you were trying to do uh, both, you know, and also there was a commercial aspect to it, and I remember that also. Yep. But people have to remember. So this is at a time in the history of the uh, dronosphere where it was illegal to use unmanned aircraft in the United States, in yep. the NAS, arbitrarily yep. 2007, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, if you want to... Now, Patrick, they, remember, gotta... didn't you and I talk, I was, remember, I, I had actually taken the responsibility, I was given the responsibility of being the unmanned systems airspace manager and coordinator during that period of time where where drones weren't allowed, we could operate them on military reservations, but we couldn't even operate them on military reservations without prior approvals and coordination. There were no MOUs, so I started putting memorandums in place with military installations, and so part of my job was to actually inform the uniformed side of, of, of drones needing access just to military reservations, while in parallel I was uh, making advances in developing memorandums and agreements with our uh, state parks and our federal parks to allow us to provide more realistic urban uh, training scenarios to be able to put our technology into um, dynamic environments because you, really before you go and be, you're certified as deployable to have a certain kind of de- uh, environmental dynamic to, to ensure that your skill sets, your thinking, your processes are legit. Well, and the products that your people are selling. That's correct. But okay, That's I got to stop right there for a second because I got to pet the pooch, you know. This week's yep. episode is sponsored by Micro Drones. They have a full line of reliable tools for precision ag mapping, GIS, construction, mining, and public safety. Go to www.microdrones.com for more information on the full range of MD aircraft and MD solutions. Micro Drones. All right, now I'm done petting the push. We can move right back into the uh, into the the uh, subject matter. So, okay, what happens is, is 2013. People decide, hey man, we're tired of waiting around to make this Egan guy the president of Silicon Valley chapter of AUVSI, and there was a reason for that because people were tired of waiting around. They had products, they wanted to sell them, they wanted to move the commercial market on. 
So mm. I became like this, this kind of lightning rod for people that were members or people in the community, which was a very tight-knit community at the time, who wanted to move the ball forward. And I remember talking to you. And you're like, hey, you know, uh, these guys are chowderheads. I don't know if that was the right nomenclature, but in general. And you're like, you know, these, these guys, uh, you know, I, I was a member and I'm not going to become a member anymore. And I was like, well, you know, okay, cool. I, I could dig it because I wasn't a member. And people kept telling me, you know, hey, uh, if you want to affect change, you have to affect it from within, right? You know, and if there's yeah. a problem. And I just read an article about this, and that only really works, you know, and I've learned in my life, I'm 52, that uh, people only, re- you know, they don't always recognize that there's a problem, okay? Mm. So even if you are a member or you're inside trying to do something, they don't recognize the problem. But you sent me an email back then that you'd sent to them in, uh, about, uh, you know, rejoining in, or, or re-upping in 2013, and basically you, I mean, you laid it right out here, the problems that uh, AVSI had, that the industry had, that was going to come back and kind of bite us in the butt in the next few years. And, uh, you know, talk, maybe you could you talk know, a little bit about that. Well, thank you. And, and I would say I will. I, I first off want to say that uh, if, if the people that I have served with and worked with and had the, the great pleasure of service to my nation in the, uh, the United States Navy as a naval officer as well as a Navy SEAL enlisted as well, I, um, I, ha- I am known and have been accused of being a visionary. I've also been I, I've been accused of being bold. I have uh, I will pull no punches, and I am very candid, uh, and I I don't bullshit. And uh, also, probably why we get along. <laughs> well, here's the thing, you, you know, in my world, you don't have time to fuck around. You've got to get to the point. The information is necessary so decisions and actions can be taken. Right. You know, lives lives to me, life matters. And to me, every freaking moment counts. Somebody's life is hanging in the balance. If you're fucking around, you've got to make a decision and act, and it better be the right choice. In our right. world, we are expected to make the right choice quickly right. and then move. Wrong choices decisive. are costly. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I had been uh, in my uh, experience as a, a Soft Coast CEO and founder and principal designer, I had um, – have been fortunate to develop uh, relationships, mentor uh, relationships with Lockheed Martin Skunk, uh, Skunk Works up in Palmdale and Tom Coons and the team. They're wonderful people, and I, I miss those people. I also developed relationships with the fine folks at uh, ES Aero, uh, Andy Gibson and Ben and the rest of those uh, folks, and they had really appreciated my designs. See, when Lockheed Martin Skunk Works looked at my stuff, and with, when ES Aero, when those guys looked at my stuff, and I said, guys, I'm not an aerospace guy, and they said, no, you're a genius, John. What you've come up with, actually no one else would have thought of because their schooling would have talked them out of trying any of this shit, and because you didn't have the schooling, but you've got the intelligence and the curiosity, you just went and did it. To a point, Patrick, I want to share that I worked with Georgia Tech Research Institute, and uh, their lead um, uh, aerospace engineer, the aeronautical uh, scientist, he basically said, you know, you've given us new insights into low-speed alpha behaviors that we've never had before. As a matter of fact, our predictive model predicted that what you made and gave us to fly wouldn't fly, and we're watching it fly, and so literally we're retraining 
we're redoing our metrics to show in our spreadsheets what your system is actually doing so our math is right. And I thought that was amazing that, you know, this kid that was homeless, right, for the first six years of his life and then went through all these things and then did this stuff as a SEAL, you know, actually made some sort of a contribution to aeronautical science. I was That was one of the proudest moments of my life, and it literally was just a 15-minute conversation on a phone <laughs> with somebody right. I'd never met before. But I was very excited and very happy about the, the prospect of the product category I was developing because I was anticipating the difficulty from a national airspace integration perspective. Here's what I was uh, – the, the approach that I was taking, Patrick. I didn't want to take – uh, military hardware and then be operating it over, uh, you know, uh, private citizens in the United States. I didn't, I didn't right. think it was appropriate. I was right. focused on creating a whole new separate, what I would consider to be softer yet still just as capable systems that would provide you a mirror capability, but in a way that doesn't upset domestic tranquility. Right. Yeah. And you know, I was funny cause I was also at the time I was telling people it's the, Asymmetrical warfare overlay was not going to be popular with the American public, which we're, we're still dealing with some of that, uh, uh, I would say, not, I don't want to call it fallout, but, but some of the uh, implications of that. Some people still have issues with that with law enforcement use and whatever else, and that, that so, was so, definitely a concern. Yep, so then I'll continue. So I ended up going to a, an unmanned – an AUVSI symposium in San Diego – and this is where I met a wonderful gentleman by the name of Don Parker, and, and rest in peace, Don. I love you, sir, and I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry things went. He passed away uh, last year of cancer, and uh, I had a schizophrenic break at the hand of others, and I literally – I have there have been folks that were lost that I had very close relationships to that I haven't even – I have never been able to really – reconcile and it's kind of a missing piece but i am speaking about don parker in honor of him but then to acknowledge his contribution so don uh, was focused on search and rescue here in uh, san diego county and he's people love him he has helped find so many people and he ended up uh and i meet he was on a panel that i was on a panel and what i said on the panel i directly said it to the leaders at auvsi and what i said to them is there you are acting unethically by encouraging those that are uninformed yet motivated and intelligent and inspired to attempt to enter, enter into an industry where you know there is no entry point and there is no long-term business plan or growth model for them unless they are bringing military hardware access and contact along with them. But you're taking their membership fees just like you're taking the membership fees of colleagues at L3 to develop their business. And I said, that caused you a problem. And by the way, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. It was like a turd in a punch bowl. And Don Parker looked over at me and said, finally, there's somebody willing to tell the truth. Well, and yeah, and I want to and I want to get into that a little bit more. So, you know, I this was one of the things that I had said and I you know, I took your email and I took it to the leadership at the time and I said, "Hey, look. This guy and some of the experience that you've talked about. So, this is another thing I want to talk about." So, when I'm when I'm saying stuff and people challenge me, you know, not that I'm Mr. Big Time or whatever, but you know, I get these people they challenge me and you probably get the same thing. 
on social media, again, like I just went to Best Buy and bought the selfie drone. This right. this stuff is all rooted in years. Knowledge. Empirical. Exactly. Empirical. This is, you know, like I yes. said, looking at your product, first thing I said, this guy, you know, he's been out in the field with this stuff. And, and I think, yep. this, I barely knew you at the time. But anyway, whatever the case, my thing was, I took your message to him and I said, look, this is exactly what I'm talking about here. I'm not the only guy grousing about the, the problems, the, under, the undercurrents of what's going on here. And this guy's right on the money, okay? So at the time, they, even, they, they were poo-pooing. I said, hey, look. I said, this guy's not just some, you know, Johnny come lately off the street. I said, this guy, he was a SEAL. He, he was out in the field. And you've told me some stories offline that were, yeah. you know, some yeah. funny things, whatever that you were. I, you know, I, I'm from, so, 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 Patrick, I'm from the old school SEAL, SEAL team ethos. I don't write books about it. I don't say shit. You and I might have a very private conversation, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you the truth about everything, but I'm going to give you enough to give you a sense of what I've experienced. So that's just where I come from. Well, exactly, and it, and and it's exactly, but it, it's enough to say, you know, I mean, you were, you know, in the details, or but just enough in the little snippets or whatever that, hey, you know, so this guy, he he's used this type of, uh, let's say, tool in these environments, whatever the case. But the thing is, is, is your experience and, and what you're doing holds some weight. And the guy that was the leader or the head, the CEO of the. Uh, t- of the association at the time was an admiral or a, a, you know, former admiral with the Navy. And it's like, you know, I mean, so, you know, I'm getting some party planner is poo pooing this, what this dude has to say. So you're going to take the party planners word over this guy here who served his country. Okay. Gotcha. So at that point I knew that the gentleman was cracked. Okay. Cause they, well, here's the funny, hear... here's the, here's the funny thing, Patrick, less than 30 days after I sent that email, by the way, no one responded to me, but less than right. 30 days after I sent that email, a semi-truck ran a red light and basically destroyed um, everything I was working on because I was unable to continue and the business failed. And then I was in a, a, a long battle, personal injury battle that no one wins and it always sucks, especially by AIG when you're under surveillance. So anyway, it's, it, right. the timing was curious where I was essentially taken out right when I started to have a product that was ready to go to market and I started calling people out, uh, evidently pretty powerful folks. Well, that is, that is one of the things too. I mean, there are, you know, and that's a, that's a whole nother conversation because there's, there's a lot of, that's another thing, you know, you know, with your job and the stuff that I've been involved in and this drone thing uh, for many years was kind of at the on point with new technologies and geopolitical situations and uh, technologies for, for different militaries around the world. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy shit. You know, and sometimes I, I think, wow, you know, I'm going to forget all this stuff. And sometimes I do. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother I mean, yeah, I don't even want to, that one's crazy too, but let's just, let's stick on <laughs> well, topic. Cause that could be. Talk about, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to talk about some of the things that people have intimated to me. I'm just going to keep that to myself, but I'll yeah, tell you, exactly. I didn't realize that I was making people uncomfortable. I didn't know that. Right. You should have told me, uh, you know, anyway, let's move on. Well, you know, I mean, I, I've turned it in. I've, I've got the startup concept going, which is a, troll as a service, you know, where I'm empowering people without a voice. Cause that's, I kind of feel like the uh, Tom Jode of drones over here, but anyway, 
I don't really care mm. about stepping on toes, and I'm sure you don't either. The other deal with that is I don't really take to threats. I mean, I've had people threaten me, you know, and uh, I usually, that makes me want to double or triple down. And the same with people trying to uh, buy me out. I've had people offer me, uh, you know, let's say special dispensation to, to clam up or jobs yeah. or whatever. And basically I've told them to, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to get too salty, but anyway, whatever, whatever the case, but you're right. So some people get upset. So yeah. my thing with it was, was, okay, you know, you're, you, you guys don't want to see this stuff. I started bringing it to their attention. And the reason that I started bringing these the people to their, uh, to their attention was because there was this market out here that was not being served yet. They were taking people's money. And uh, the, the back room deal was kind of like, well, we don't want to work ourselves out of a job. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? These people are losing their marriages, their homes, their, all their possessions because they invested in this industry because people like you said there was going to be $82 billion here. And I, got By the way, I never, just, just so you know, Patrick, I never believed that shit. I did talk to that. As a here's a data point. Some are projecting numbers as high as this. However, from my perspective, I don't see the infrastructure or the ecosystem in place. I think it's going to take over 10 years just to have the regulatory environmentals correct to facilitate such widespread adoption and growth. By the way, that's assuming we don't have anything catastrophic happen along the way. And if, you, if some catastrophic happens along the way, you're going to have to set it back another decade or longer. Exactly. So, you know, I knew that that wasn't even birdcage lighting or, uh, when it rolled out. So at the time, you know, it rolled out. And, and, you know, Silicon Valley chapter president. So I got some smart folks in my chapter. I got people from yep. Cal and Stanford, and this kid comes up to me, Gita Dombrowski, you know, and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about your numbers. And I'm like, what numbers? What are you talking about? And he says, oh, you know, your forecast, your AUVS. <laughs> I said, that, that, that shit is garbage, you know? I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even talk about it. So anyway, I had uh, Gretchen West came out to one of the meetings, and I said, hey, uh, Gretchen, Gita over here wants to talk to you about your numbers. Oh, I don't know anything about it. I, you know, I, oh, oh, oh. you know. So the the upshot on it was was both Gretchen and Mike. They didn't even understand what was going on in uh, in that report. And I said, yeah, it was based on the Japanese farming model. And you people extrapolate. I mean, this is tough. And you overlaid it on the U.S. Oh, I go, you people are crazy. And I told Mike Toscano that one day. You guys, those numbers are weapons-grade bullshit. One day, you're going to wear that uh, forecast like an albatross, a big one, around your neck. Because what's going to happen is you're never going to be able to live up to that hype, and there's going to be a problem. So what we have is all of these things that we were talking about back in 2012, 2013, 2015, and you were the one, you were like my mentor that kicked me off on the drone ecosystem intellectual honesty, which I will tell you, uh, John, Put folks in a very dark place. That so went Patrick, over so, so, like the Hindenburg. 
I know it did. By the way, so the listeners need to understand what we're talking about. So in 2015, you had a, a symposium that you invited me to, and I was I was recovering from this uh, catastrophic accident in 2013, in, uh, in uh, March of 2013. And so you and I had been in touch, and I said, I'm finally starting to feel like I can go out in public and talk a little bit. Thank you. I'd love to do it. And, and I picked the topic because, again, I keep track of this industry because I love aerospace. I love it. I, I can't not mm-hmm. love it. It's, it's in my blood. I don't know why, but it is. The point is, I, I said, I'm seeing a lot of people lying to themselves here. Let's forget about lying to each other. I don't think people are intentionally lying to each other. I think what's happening is people are not being honest intellectually about what they're saying, what the words coming out of their mouth are incoherent if you actually bring the, envir- the external environment into focus. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work. Not that way, and you need to be honest about it because truthfully, if you want to produce outcomes, and I believe that you do when you say you do, if you're going to produce outcomes, you have to, with being honest about the internal environment and the external environment that you're operating in. You can't, you can't be successful unless you're going to do that. So you're either honest about these environments and not sharing, or you're truly confused and you're really uh, lying to yourself. I wasn't sure which, so I just, in, a, in the gentlest way I could, I gave a talk about intellectual honesty. I talked about how being a SEAL, we learn early on uh, the importance of intellectual honesty because your, we as SEALs, uh, uh, we hash out the who can do what physically real quick. That way <laughs> people say, I could go do that. It's like you can, then go do it. Okay, you can't do it, so sit down and shut the fuck up. Or you can do it. Good job. Let's move on. That's our right, approach. Right. And when I saw this industry forming, I'm seeing people saying, we are, we can, we did, and you take one example, zoomed in, right, with, and you can't see what's going on around it, and you say you're doing this across an entire region, and, and in fact, you're not. You're not. Exactly. But you're and saying when does you it are. Really, but you know when it really starts getting dangerous, and you probably know this, you know, when you're, when you're lying to yourself, when, when it really starts getting bad is when you start believing your own BS, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's when that's when you're in the deep dude. So, that and was, you know the what, sad part? Well, you know what's sad? I'll finish right here. You know what's sad about that, Patrick, is when, when one lies to themselves, and you see it happen to leaders all day long, they are the last to know because the most difficult problem that leaders uh, face is when – followers have decided that the leader is uh, not being honest with themselves and then then people start essentially uh, managing how they interact with the leader who is uh, intellectually dishonest (laughs) well and you know it's bad for morale (laughs) in my estimation working places where people are uh, crazy but Yep. The uh, the other thing with that is okay. So we fast forward. A lot of this stuff was said. There were warnings. You know, you could see the handwriting on the wall. Emperor's new clothes. I could. We were talking about it. People were telling me I was wrong. They still, you know, people tell me today. Oh, you know, you're talking about you're wrong. You know. So anyway, fast forward. What I think we're starting to see, and what is, you know, um, let's say confirmed, is you know we're probably at about a half a billion dollars and lost VC money. And I don't even want to say lost. I want to say it was, it was just pissed away. You could have just shaken your wallet over the toilet and flushed it, you know, and uh, had, had about the same results, although we would have probably wouldn't have That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. 
of folks that could have been a help. That's a lot of goodwill and a lot of stewardship just pissed away. Exactly. And on applications that we were talking about, you know, uh, a decade ago, okay, or longer, uh, could have could have helped uh, feed a hungry world, all the rest of this stuff, okay? And this was, this goes back to the people losing their homes and all of their money and their marriages and all the rest. I mean, I had people call me up during the prohibition telling me if I stop doing this, I'm going to lose my house. What do, I, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you to break the law. I'm not going to tell you, you know, lose the house, you know, uh, I'm not going to do that, you know. So my, my point with this is as, as everybody fiddled and went to the cocktail parties and blew through all of this money, um, you know, wasted this money, good people who actually had experience, knew what they were doing, were doing it right, uh, were left in the wake and failed and moved on to other things because they couldn't hold out for 10 years. And that was really the thing that really bugged me. So here we are, uh, you know, kind of like the dot-com thing. I said that to people. I said, what's going to happen is you guys are hyping this up, farm drones, whatever. You're, you're talking about this stuff, and basically you're going to hype this up so, so much that there will be no way we can live up to the expectations, and the market's going to crash. When the market crashes, we're going to come out of the other side, and the people that are left are going to have to, like, super prove that their systems can do half of what they're talking about because people have been lied to, cheated, robbed uh, in the past with these things. So I think that's where we're at today. Can I make a comment here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, in 2012, I had a conversation with a, um, a, 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 one, of a, one of my trusted friends that I've worked with, uh, both in uniform as well as uh, commercially, uh, and he's just on a tear. He's doing really well at one of the large um, uh, tier two supplier uh, and integrators uh, in the United States. Um, and he and I said, you know, here's the deal. This is how I would resolve access to the uh, national airspace. I would actually, uh, if I, I would establish a certain uh, utilization scheme, an access scheme to every cellular network uh, uh, on the ground in the United States. I would have it provisioned for a control interface uh, as well as for a uh, awareness, uh, situational awareness interface while we're waiting for, you know, all of these other SAS and WAS and everything else to, to, to be widespread, adopted, and commercialized. And essentially, you would have a subscriber um, a module on every air, uh, craft that would just check in with the tower or check in with the cell tower nearest to it. So at least you could, you could mark a start point and a location uh, and then be able to track and potentially even you could even charge uh, the, the operator uh, a small fee to access the network just for situational awareness. And then you could, as they're doing now, you could integrate that with ADSB and be able to have towers in uh, real time, see every little dot everywhere near a cell tower. They might be doing that now. I don't know. The problem is, is they waited way too long, and they tried to put their own monetization schemes and strategies around it instead of actually focusing on what do we need, what is the right thing to do in an intellectually honest way to make sure that we resolve the national security issue first, not how do we make money with this, and then we'll worry about national security later, which is why I essentially told AUVSI can no longer in good conscience be party to this. Right, right. Well, and that's that's coming home to roost now. Um, you know, this is 
I, I, you know, I'm into the counter UAS thing a little bit too. And we've talked about that and some red team things and, and, and whatever else. And, uh, you know, I talk to people in government all the time and I, and they're like, well, you know, we're getting on it. You know? And I'm like, well, as far as I see counter UAS right now, it's, uh, the, the, I, I see, uh, whistling past the graveyard level five, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. sad, but the thing is, is we have a technology problem in our own government and the contracting and everything else, and that's a whole other show and how that whole system's totally broken. But I, I want to still have the, we don't have. Here's the thing, Patrick. That's my contention. We do not have a technology problem. We have an honesty problem because we have technical infrastructure in place right now to put a module on every aircraft that has to. It has to literally check in with the tower the cell tower near its proximity in order to even function. And the fact yeah, that no one has said from a nat, nat listen, we, these, these multinational corporations are so powerful that what we could have done in 1980 or 1970 or 1960 or 1950 by saying, look, uh, AT&T, look, Verizon, look, whoever, we, we, from a national security perspective, unmanned systems operations, whether they're commercial or whatever, they must have access to infrastructure, cellular infrastructure, so we can know their whereabouts at all times, period. And we are, we are commandeering a portion of your infrastructure. We can bail out AIG, but we can't actually provision access to the cellular infrastructure in the United States. It boggles my mind. Yeah, well, it shouldn't boggle too much because it's just a matter of uh, lobbying power. And that's that's another thing even with the uh, drone thing and the multinationals and your tech companies and all the rest of this. Look, this deal's a scam. This is a scam as far as I'm concerned. They're not That's what I said. Yeah, well, there was a lot of goodwill, you know, lobbying that was squandered on people's feelings. You know, people got up there and testified in front of Congress, and I feel like this will be safe, and I feel like this will be good. And I ripped people a new one on that because nobody's going to. That's not how our government works. How our government works is emulate the airlines and what they send in lobbying, and then maybe you're talking. These, these guys are still, they want it all on cheap. They're looking for someone else to do the heavy lifting and they're willing to throw anybody under the bus, just like the hobbyists just went under the bus with the vote yesterday in Congress. The lobbyists are in there, uh, you know, doing whatever they can to lock up market share, mandated products, mandated customers, mandated members. That's what it's all about. I've been saying it for forever now. Um, nobody's listening because nobody wants to believe that they've been taken in by the confidence people. And this is across well, the, the board, tr- dude. At this the, is what the, the, the day, law enforcement listen, and everybody. Listen, at the end of the day, my heart goes out to each and every individual entrepreneur or investor that, that, that made it, that took a risk, that believed in the prospects of, of being an American, the opportunity to create something new, to have a lasting impact on society in a positive way. I am sorry that they were used as material for these large corporations and these large political interests and these large commercial and uh, industry-wide interests, and they didn't have a fucking chance. They never had a chance to begin with. I uh, personally think that these, uh, these associations that have said these things publicly and encouraged all of this investment, I think they are really running a risk of fa- uh, false advertising 
uh, from a criminal perspective, and you may have investors and uh, and founders and and these very people I'm describing uh, coming after them from and, and filing legal complaints. Like, wait a minute, we based everything we did on what you said. Right, and if it were me that lost a hundred million dollars, uh, I'd probably uh, I'd be looking into that. But all the forecasters are all responsible. I mean, I heard. Some, some horse crap that was totally unbelievable. People ran with it. They wanted to sell reports. They wanted to be, look like they were stars. They wanted people to buy them drinks. That's not really my bag. But anyway, what I do see, I do see on the other side of this, uh, there are some people in the industry still that are hanging on. I, I see something. You, you alluded to this earlier uh, about the American people and all the rest of that. My thing is, is like everybody, oh, I want to fly beyond visual line of sight. I want to fly over people. And, Look, hey man, gotta you gotta slow down here for a second. One, no practical test as part of the 107. So technically, I could go out and buy a Scan Eagle and fly it around 100 miles an hour, uh, you know, in Class G airspace. And and well, and, you know, let's, let's, step, a let's step back. You, well, you couldn't you couldn't fly a Scan Eagle because of ITAR restrictions, Patrick. So let's be clear. You you you. So you're going to have. Let's be clear for the. Let's be clear for the American public. There's no one that's just real, willy nilly buying a Scan Eagle and operating it uh, uh, in the national airspace. That's not happening. Uh, there are uh, 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 smart people that would never allow that to happen. However, you've got people that can 3D print something like a Scan Eagle and op- and copy the design and go do it exactly like you're describing, and that is concerning. It is, and you can also, uh, you know, cause some mayhem and and hurt people and whatever else. But nobody, the, the main upshot on that is, is nobody knows that you know how to fly that thing. That's number one. Number two. None of this stuff, uh, basically what we're talking about, especially the uh, monopoly afforded the Chinese uh, manufacturers, they are importing toys. They have a foot in the toy camp, and then they have a foot in the aircraft camp at certain times. But when you want to fly over people, I mean, I'm, I'm like, a, you know, I want to see this business flourish or whatever, and I think 107 is fine for what it's got. But if you want to fly over people, we have to have some sort of reasonable expectation that this stuff's not going to fall out of the sky and hit people on the head, hurt their kids, their pets, their property, did whatever. You, did I tell you my story? So uh, I purchased the DJI Inspire 1 uh, back when they first came out, uh, circa 2014, and I operated it for about a year. It, it was depressing. I was attempting to get kind of get back in. I didn't want to fly. I wanted something on a tether. I wanted real problems. I didn't want this bullshit. I, didn't, I actually didn't like it. And so – I kind of put it on the shelf for a while, and I pulled it out, and here's it was it was absolutely frightening what I experienced with my DJI Inspire One. You want to hear this story? Yeah, let's let's have the story, and then we'll, we'll wrap it, was, her up. it was it was fucking terrifying because first of all, when I went through the configuration elements, I started to notice how I had to provide them with uh, an email uh, credential and have a persistent, and they were uploading my uh, data to the cloud. And so that was note one. It's like, okay, never fly over anything I want a foreign national to be aware of. Don't ever do it. So that was, that was because of my background, so check. So it was like, hmm, does, the, does, does, does the State Department know about this? Does DOD know about this? And I'm thinking, and then I'm thinking, well, I've been blown out of all of that shit. I'm just trying to get better and, and not have a brain injury, you know, one of seven uh, again. So let me just focus on my shit. I was out literally showing my children in a park how to 
uh, hover my uh, drone. And I, I made sure I, I found some light poles, and I ensured that I would not fly higher than the light poles. I actually found an open uh, softball field. There was nobody near me, nobody around me, and so I was hovering. And I, I hadn't uh, thought that they would – here's what I didn't think. I did not believe that a, uh, a vendor, any vendor, would ever make a firmware change to anything uh, without, my, without notifying me and confirming that I – uh, had, had, had completed whatever uh, revision was required, that they went ahead and made a change to the flight control system remotely, Patrick, and that my battery firmware was now incompatible. But what happened is, is I put a battery into the drone. I, I did the pre-flight. I got all the green lights, and the battery looked, it looked fine, and I charged it. I literally hovered the aircraft about 20 feet, and was about to turn, take a left turn and kind of do a sweeping uh, arc uh, over uh, the, the field when it literally stopped operating and fell like a, just a paperweight, a really heavy one, crushed, broke the arm, broke a bunch of shit. And I did it, and it happened right in front of my three children. As a matter of fact, my son Toby was about three feet away from the uh, uh the one of the blades they weren't spinning but as it was falling at 20 feet and we could do a calculation and kind of find out you know what kind of uh uh delta was happening as far as mass and acceleration but we don't need to go there the point is, is you can figure it out something like that falls on my kid because dji makes a fucking firmware upgrade and they they don't even consider uh the operator's perspective the operator may not be aware may not even have time to make that change and you're forcing a change in my behavior that i'm not prepared for or ready for in that moment do i understand how to upgrade firmware yes do i do yes but was i in that moment prepared to do that or even informed no so i was not informed nor did they have my consent to make a modification to my hardware in that moment and for that reason i literally sold that thing I put it on the shelf, parked it. I was going to throw it away and write about it, and then I decided, no, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. It's highly dangerous that they could change any configuration for my aircraft or my flight control system or even my battery without my knowledge or awareness. Bad for business. I don't want anything to do with them, period, right. ever again. I'm done with DJI. Right. Well, and, you know, you hit on a whole slew of good points again. One you know, if you're going to update something, usually uh, this is another thing I don't understand. Uh, service bulletins telling people the other thing uh, that you're making a point of, and this is the other thing. And I, you know, I, I kind of, uh, for fun, called it Chai Coms. You know, like uh, not mm. Chai Com like the Chinese communists, but with two M's, so Chai Communications. And <laughs> you know, if if, and this is what I tell people. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, a communications expert, but, you know, I, uh, I call myself kind of an I analytical am. thinker. Okay, so I'm an analytical thinker. If you are telling me, like, what this geofencing system that they tried to get implemented is law of the land in the United States, which would have been law of the land everywhere, this system. But I got to call some chick. I got to call Becky in Shenzhen to turn off the geofencing for my system. Okay, and then... From Shenzhen, she can make, you know, she can send a push to my telephone and my flight control system that allows me to fly. You know, uh, I'm only saying here, you know. Let me make make a point real quick. I I want to say 
that part of my background that I, I do not talk about very much, but I can, I can legally and ethically speak to, I uh, uh, have spent time uh, in the intelligence field, okay? And so what I will share with you is from an intelligence officer's perspective, the, the difficulty uh, uh, that I see is, is, is it's, it's shocking. Again, intellectually honest. Do you really want to have a foreign adversary that's in a, a trade battle now tracking the pattern of life on, the, on your ground? By the way, we don't have systems tracking the pattern of life in China. I wonder why that is. Well, you know, see now, so now you're you're getting in it because this is another thing. Well, you know, I don't. What I'm taking video of, nobody cares, and that may be true. You know, you're at the real estate agent or whatever. Big data, Patrick. Big data. Big data. Okay. Well, I don't even usually go where you're going, but if you do talk to people, this is where I live. (laughs) I know. And you do talk to people that are in intelligence. This is exactly what it, it all boils down to: is the pace of life. In any country that you're operating pattern, in. Pattern of life. Pattern. Exactly. What's going on, how people operate, when they operate, how, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So even and by if you the way, are, this just becomes, this becomes here's, the, here's the important point. This just becomes a layer of data that uh, analysts can use who may not have the Americans' uh, best interests at heart. They can extrapolate this. They can lay this over political uh, machinations. They can lay this over electoral uh, uh, data and analytics. They can they can lay this over with our the way our economic drivers and the engines of our economy to how to affect us and how we move in the world. Where innovation's happening? Who's operating drones? Drones. Drones may represent kind of early adopter, uh, advanced thinking. Uh, what patterns? Where does that seem to be concentrated most? Where is it shifting? What do the dynamics look like? What are the trends? Those are being monitored in a big data way now in front of the American people in plain sight, and people are still arguing about it, which, again, is, it, it leads back to intellectual dishonesty. Right. Well, and, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're going deeper on it even than I, I usually do because I tell people, you know, if you're in uh, high-value uh, markets, it could be a problem for you. Now, the thing I have problems with is you have law enforcement, and I even had some guy calling me out on Twitter saying that I was calling law enforcement incompetent. But, I, you know, I don't really think they're incompetent. I think that, you know, the confidence game is one thing. Uh, not, people don't know what they don't know. But the situation is, um, you know, people are enticed by capabilities and at a cheap price point. So when people want something, they tend to overlook the wrinkles or the blemishes or the problems or whatever. And they go ahead and they do things that they think of the bigger picture or whatever else. I, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on with collection, who's doing what. I, I don't know. All I know, I have another well, issue. Here's what, but, here's what we – this is important, Patrick. Again, when you say you don't know, this is what is important to, to always, from an intelligence perspective, we always take the conservative and safe approach. So if you don't know what's going on, the fact that it could be going on, you must plan that that could be happening and take that into account in everything you do or bad shit can happen. Right. Exactly. There's that. Exactly. So, and then the other point I wanted to hit on the thing I don't, I, you know, this really gets my goat. Okay. So law enforcement is buying these systems. 
and this is law enforcement at the local, state, and federal level. These systems, even though they know that there, there could be potential problems. But let's just, we're going to put all the potential problems aside, okay? And I want to talk about the other thing. As a law enforcement person, there may be times, and there was an event in a major city not too long ago where, uh, you know, federal law enforcement had an issue where they couldn't use their systems because they were in Class B aerospace. So what are they supposed to do? Call Becky and Shenzhen and say, hey, this is, you know, agent so-and-so with such and such, and I'm going to need to do this, so could you turn that off? I mean, it's, that's, that, that is, I, I don't want to say retarded because that's me. Do you, I, do you, I, I don't even know. I can't I don't even know. No, I, I, so I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts that I'd like to share. So the first thing is we talk about, you know, do you know what a symptom of, of, of not being intellectually honest is? Uh, yeah, it's kind of getting caught with your pants down in bad situations. Well, so we could, well it's, it's actually, it is the, the, the symptom uh, is breakdown or, or undesired outcomes. That's the point. And so here's what's happening. The, the law enforcement, and I love my, my brothers and sisters in blue. A lot, sure. of my, uh, SEAL, a lot of my SEAL veteran uh, brothers transition and become F- – they do everything all over. the. They get into that federal wheel or the state, whatever, and, and they're wonderful. And I personally have had interactions uh, with L.A. County police, uh, uh, the, 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 LA, the Los Angeles Police Department last year uh, through no fault of my own, and they were very professional – uh, and, and frankly, I was, uh, um, I was I, uh, truly very appreciative of the fact that at four time, I was arrested at gunpoint four times, and because of my background, even uh, it, having a psychotic break, I knew enough to shut my mouth and, and comply immediately in every way possible. So if they said get down on the ground, it was, there was no talk. There was no question. It was get down on the ground and do what he says next and comply at all times, and I think that saved my life because at every point – I'm in a dark place, and they've got a weapon pulled. They don't know who I am. I'm crazy and don't know who they are. And so I am, I'm thankful that I, I clicked back into, you know, do the right thing. Even crazy, Patrick, I was able to be intellectually honest with myself in those moments. And what I'm trying to say is if I wouldn't have been intellectually honest with myself even when I was insane, I wouldn't be here today. So what I'm trying to say is intellectual honesty is important because it gives life, it protects life, it saves life. Intellectually dishonest behaviors take life. They destroy mm-hmm. life. They, they eliminate value. They destroy opportunities. And so what I would say is the police officers and the, the law enforcement folks that were doing their job, that were having to talk to Becky in China, the fact is, is that, that whoever put that equipment in their hands – and told them that it was okay to use and it would serve the purpose, the public's uh, interest in them doing their job, they failed. And in that moment, the dishonesty, the intellectual dishonesty came home to roost. There is no one to blame but the decision makers in that moment, period. Right. And, uh, you know, that uh, even goes on to, you know, I wrote an article called Don't Wing Loom Me Bro. And the deal with it is, is now we're in a situation when I think the political dithering and the dishonesty has cost us a domestic industry. So now we're in a situation where you have to buy the Chinese stuff. But anyway, we're going to have to leave it there because we've we've gone an hour and 20 minutes. And it's all very interesting. We'll have to have you on again because we could probably do another hour and 20 minutes. But uh, people start complaining that it's too long and, you know, dogs got (laughs) fleas and 
And I would say, mm-hmm. well, you can always turn it off and listen later. But no, it's too good. I can't turn it off. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, John, it was good having you on. It was good talking to you. And it was, um, I mean, again, the subject matter is kind of, eh, you know, it is, it, it's a bring down, but um, it needs to be talked about. And I do hope that when we come out of the trough of uh, disillusionment, on the other side, we get some serious people who want to do some real work. And, uh, you know, make the planet a better place. And uh, I think that's going to happen. I talked to some people. I am encouraged. So hopefully that's what happened. We're going to have to get well, together I, and have a lunch can, or something. Can I, I owe you a Mexican. Yeah, go ahead. Patrick, thanks for having me. Can I, before we, we wrap up and sign off, can I just say, I, I, uh, can I kind of share my prognosis? Kind of, I, I would say I have a prescription for okay. managing these symptoms and essentially healing uh, the patient. And the patient would, would be the, the suffering uh, American public and an industry that is, in, in a way, it's being stillbirthed in front of our eyes. And exactly. so what I would say, a way to save this is to immediately uh, disinfect the, the toxic, the toxicity uh, in the body politic and in the body itself. So you have, you know, we have sepsis now uh, it, within this industry, and what, what's going to have to happen is, is an, inc- an entire clearing has got to happen, or another industry uh, organization has to form uh, because the ones that exist now, their interests are producing outcomes that are clear and 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 receive and should be seen uh, and understood that the interests that they have and, and, and what they're saying are inconsistent. And the question is, is this what the American people want? I believe the American public deserves better, especially when you have uh, 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 technology that's going to be essentially inside, in everybody's environment operating uh, over top of everybody's heads. There, there must be a, a, a high standard, a very high standard of, of who is uh, leading these organizations, how these organizations are formed, and actually who is invited to participate, whether as a, a, an industry professional or as a, uh, a thought leader or a manager or an advocate, et cetera, et cetera. From my perspective, you've got to have transparency and open communication, and you have to be honest about where you've fallen short. See, here's the difference between democracy and communism and socialism. Communism is real clean and tidy. So is socialism. Democracy is messy and ugly, noisy and nosy. And if you don't like those elements, then you're not truly abiding by the American value of of being a democratic republic. If you well, want things to be closed and clean and tidy and appear perfect, then you're essentially operating in a communist or socialistic uh, environment. And I think that goes against who we are as Americans, and the American public needs to know that. Amen, brother. And I'm going to leave it right there. So you were preaching to the right. choir. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see everyone soon. Thanks, Patrick. Talk to you later.